The book of Deuteronomy, the epic conclusion to the Torah, and spoiler alert, Moses is going to die. Now, in order to understand this book, we need to remember the story so far. So Israel has escaped from slavery in Egypt. Then they spend one year at Mount Sinai. This is where they made the covenant with God to obey all of these laws. Then they wander around the desert for 40 years before they make it to the Jordan River, which is right across from the land God promised them. They're ready to go in. This is where the book of Deuteronomy begins. And what this book is really is a speech. Moses gives these final words, it's like a pep talk, to the new generation of Israel that's about to go into the land. And the speech, it's broken up into three large sections. So Moses begins the first part of the speech with a somber tone because he's highlighting Israel's rebellion and resistance, which has been going on for the last 40 years. And that sets up the rest of this opening section, which is Moses' challenge to this new generation to be different from their parents and to respond to God's grace with love and obedience. So he reminds them of the Ten Commandments, like the basics of the covenant, and then he gives them this very famous line. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, in Jewish tradition, this is called the Shema because the first Hebrew word in this line is Shema Yisrael. And this became a very important prayer in Judaism, said twice a day. And it emphasizes the Israelites' exclusive commitment to their God, the one true God who loved them and who rescued them from slavery. Right, because they're about to go into a land where people are worshiping many other gods. And Moses thinks that loyalty to the Lord, their God, is the only way to life. Now, notice these key words in the Shema, listen and love. You're going to find these words all over this opening section of the speech. The word listen in Hebrew means more than just let sound waves come into your ears. It includes the idea of responding to what you hear. So for Israel, this means responding to God's grace by obeying the laws of the covenant. And then listen is always followed by love. Yeah, so love is the true motivation for obeying the laws. Israel won't obey without love, and they don't truly love if they don't obey. So there's this tight connection between loving and listening that runs through the entire book. And so Moses tells them that if they do listen and love, they will fulfill their original calling as the family of Abraham to show all of the nations the wisdom and justice of God and so become a blessing to them. The second big section in Deuteronomy is a large block of laws and commands. And this is where the book gets its name. Deuteronomy means a second law. And it's because many of these laws we've heard before. In fact, in the first line of the book, we're told that Moses is here explaining or clarifying the laws. So he's repeating and expanding on the laws, making them relevant to this new generation. There's laws about how Israel's to worship God, laws about their leadership structure, laws about social justice, and then some more laws about their worship. Now, after all of the laws, Moses warns Israel of the consequences of their obedience or disobedience, or in his words, the blessing or the curse. If they listen and love, they will experience blessing and abundance in the land. And if they don't, there's going to be famine and plagues, and they'll be forced off their land into exile. And that brings us to the final section of his speech. Yeah, here Moses says, I set before you today life or death, blessing or curse. So choose life. 
But then things get really interesting because after 40 years with these people, Moses knows they're not going to obey. And so he predicts their failure and even their future exile from the promised land. And he focuses on what he thinks is the true source of the problem, that they have hard and selfish hearts. It's as if Israel is incapable of truly loving God in a way that brings about obedience. But this problem isn't unique to Israel. Yeah, in fact, Moses, when he's using this language about blessing and curse, he's tying Israel's story all the way back to all humanity's story from Genesis 1 through 3. So Adam and Eve, they were blessed by God just like Israel and given a choice to trust and obey God like Israel. And then they rebelled and brought a curse on the land like Moses knows Israel is going to do. And so these stories, they're about Israel's hard heart, but they're actually a window into the universal human condition. But Moses doesn't give up hope entirely. That's right. He says that somehow on the other side of Israel's exile, God promises to transform their heart so that one day they truly can listen and love. In the final chapters, Joshua is appointed as the new leader of Israel. And then Moses takes the entire law code. The one he just predicted Israel would break. That's right. And he puts it into the Ark of the Covenant. And then Moses hikes up to the top of a mountain so we can see the promised land from afar. And then he dies. And that's how the Torah ends. Which is a strange place to end a story. I mean, it's right there at the climax. Will they obey the laws and live faithfully in the land or not? Well, the story does continue right into Joshua, the next book of the Bible, but this is the end of the Torah, and it's been ended here for a reason. The Torah is written for people who are either outside of the land or who are still waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to bless the whole world. And so now as each generation reads the Torah, they find themselves called to hope in what Moses hoped for, a new transformed heart that one day can truly listen and love. Welcome back to the continuation of the story. God is the writer of the play, the drama. And it's not just the story of God. It's the story of our lives because our lives are in the middle of his story. Just as surely as Adam and Eve, just as surely as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, as we'll see today, Joshua and the Israelites as they continue forward. We have the opportunity to endear ourselves again this morning to this story. You may be familiar with this story because you've, I don't know, been around church circles for a while. Maybe you're sort of new to trying to understand the story. It mentioned that... Uh, The death of Moses concluded at the end of Deuteronomy, the end of the Torah. If you have Jewish background, you're very familiar with the Torah. The Torah are the first five books of this big Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We have this in common without question with the Jewish people. We have the story of God's beginnings through the life of Moses, and then Moses passes away without seeing the promised land. 
Any of you worried that you might fall short of seeing something you've been praying about and working for your whole life? Well, God took him up on that mountain so he could see the promised land, but he did not enter the promised land. The word that Moses gave in Deuteronomy, though, was actually not a speech, in my opinion. It was a great sermon. And the sermon had to do with love and obedience. Love and obedience. That's why it was mentioned, the Shema has to do with being able to declare forth the need to listen to the Lord God and to, what? Love the Lord God. Hear, O Israel, it says in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Not many gods. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. How many of you heard that before? Well, it goes back a long ways on the timeline. How you doing with the Shema in your own personal life? I like the aspect, and it was highlighted there, that the word listen is really not just listening. Some of you are listening right now, but you're not hearing. Some of you men do that in your home. I do that. Did you hear me? What? Yeah, you said this, but you didn't allow it to penetrate you to do something about it, right? The Shema, O Israel, is a hear but it's embedded with the sense of obedience. And our obedience is how we show our love. And we love by showing our obedience. The last sermon of Moses is a pretty strong exhortation to us today. You don't know how many different Sundays sometimes I think, why am I the one that has to stand up here and speak? It's not that I feel inadequate in the gifts that God's given me or ill-prepared, but a lot of times I just wish the other voices, and sometimes when you hear a common voice, you sort of tune out, and I think, what if we had some other people preach up here today? Well, we're going to let Moses' words preach to us a little bit, and then we're going to let Joshua's words preach to us a little bit, because that's what they did with the Israelites in that day, and they exhorted them. So following the hills of this Shema that's straightforward, Moses says that these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Some of you might be familiar with Orthodox Jews, and sometimes they have the lockets, and they, you know, they have the cap, and, and then they actually have some things tied around them, and sometimes you'll even see a little box on the forehead. Why? It goes back to this verse that they were physically doing a reminder that they would love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But Moses goes on and preaches in Deuteronomy as we continue this story of God. And let me just 
read a few of these words as it relate uh, to his message before he passed away. I mean, these are his last words, right? So it's a pretty important thing to, to look into. So in Deuteronomy 6, verse 10, we'll pick it up there if you've got your scriptures or your electronic device. When the Lord... When the Lord, your God, brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, there's always this pulling forward of the storyline. The land with large flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then you will eat and are satisfied. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. He's exhorting them. He is the one that led them out, right? Leaving of Pharaoh, the plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, the collapse of the Red Sea, back on Pharaoh and all of his armies, and them being able to be on their way to the promised land and receiving the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Verse 13, fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not, do not follow other gods, the gods of peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Whoa. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God with the stipulations and the decrees that he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you as the Lord said. I can't comprehend this. I, you know, sometimes you give your kids instructions before, you know, maybe they go off to school for the day or thinking about when you send off your kid to college, right? Or maybe you're working on a project and turning it over to someone at work and you give these last exhortations, these last commands. This is what you need to do. But here was Moses in all of those years and all the storyline of God with the Israelites being blessed to be a people so they could bless all nations. The big picture, the heart of God, restoring what was broken from the Garden of Eden, restoring communion and fellowship, God's plan, God's man, Moses, his last instructions. And what does he say? He says it real simple in that Shema. Hear, O Israel, O those of you at the Awakening Church, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And if you're going to hear, it means that you're going to obey. Otherwise, it's just noise that's around you. And sometimes I fear that we as believers in Jesus Christ, we just allow sermons and scripture reading and small group discussions to just be noise rather than letting the Word of God be something that we hear and we obey. And Moses was adamant. He wasn't going to get into that promised land, but he was sending the Israelite generations on ahead of him. This is what you need to do when you get there. Now, 
as we look at this storyline that we have behind us, we have started with the creation and the fall, the beginning of time. The promise that was given to Abraham, he would have a people. He would be blessed with many nations. But his people would be blessed in order to bless all people, all nations. There was the bondage that happened in Egypt after they went there with the famine. And Pharaoh took over the Israelites and made them slaves. And then Moses brought them out, right? And so now we stand here at land and kingdom this morning. And we'll sum it up this way as the deep dive study sums it up that we're walking through on Wednesday nights. And by the way, everybody's welcome to come on Wednesday night. It's barbecue this week if you want to know what's going on. So come Wednesday nights, 545 for the meal, 630. We're in groups inside here, and we're walking through this storyline together in discussion after some uh, video teaching. Land and kingdom, God brings his people through their leader, Joshua, into the promised land. When God's people worship the gods of the nations surrounding them, God disciplines them through the attacks of surrounding nations. God raises up judges, or they were really rulers, to rescue his people and to call them to repentance. They beg for a king to be like the other nations around them. And God gives them Saul. He gives them a king. Then God raises up a new king, David, and promises that his kingdom will never end. The family that turned into a nation is now a kingdom. David's son Solomon builds a temple to replace the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant is placed, symbolizing the presence of God himself as the commandments were in that Ark of the Covenant. You like the story? Do you follow the story? Is the story something that uh, you're endeared to? You know, we have a lot of... Uh, Stories going on in this room right now. We could just park and say, how's your story going? You could tell me your story. Maybe you're in a good season of life, maybe not a good season of life. But I tell you what, no matter what your story is, it's pretty brief, isn't it? Even, even if you live to be 80, 90 years old, when you look at a timeline like this, uh, our life is like a little blip on the line, right? But you need to know this, when you were created... You were not created to die. You were created to live forever. Solomon, actually, who wrote Ecclesiastes, says that God has put eternity in our hearts. And so your storyline isn't about the 70, 80 years that you can squeeze life out of here on this earth. Your story is that God has created within you a soul. You have a spirit. And he's put you in a body that body will have limited time, as surely as Moses has had a limited time. But when we die, the plan is for God to give you an eternal life and to even give you a new body and to live with him for eternity because God has put eternity in our hearts. And when anybody passes away, especially a loved one, we're going like, that's it? That's it? Your story is not a blip on a little timeline. Your story is a part of God's master story. And for you to find success, fulfillment, happiness, joy in life, 
you need to find not just where you're at on this storyline that goes forward from here, but you need to find the God who is about making the storyline. And you need to hear, listen, obey, and love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so as Moses hands the baton to Joshua and they step into the promised land, Moses' hope was that they would obey the Shema and that they would live that way, that they would stay clear from the other gods. But the storyline, well, it's sort of the human, the universal human condition. We don't obey and we disobey. Disobey to our demise and our pain and our destruction. But just like Adam and Eve in the garden, we think because we're tempted. Tempted by our sinful nature, tempted by the adversary themselves, we are tempted to go a different route. And we end up reaping the consequences of our sin and our disobedience. And so the storyline, as it, as it moves forward, they're landing in the land, the promised land. Lawn with milk and honey, man. What's today modern day Israel, but back during that time is even more so flowing with milk and honey. That, that's a beautiful place that God has brought them back to. Originally from Abraham. And, and they cry for a king and he ends up establishing the kingdom. But there is so much on this storyline that we could unpack weeks upon weeks upon weeks in this room and in our small group. We don't have the time, of course, to do that. And one of our goals here is not to get caught up in the little individual stories, but to see the bigger story. But this story of the Israelites is not an ancient story of historical people that don't apply to us because they did what you and I still do today. We do crazy Silly, stupid acts of disobedience, moving away from the God who created us in his likeness and moving toward things that we think are going to make us fulfilled. And so we have the story of Moses. We have the preaching of Moses. We have the last message of Moses as if he was to stand here. And you can read more of Deuteronomy itself. But he hands the baton to Joshua, and Joshua takes over these Israelites. And I'm sure that it was uh, a big moment for Joshua because he had to, you know, fill the shoes of Moses. But he also knew that he had a group of people that maybe weren't totally put together and on God's side or on his side. We don't have time to drop in to this journey of Joshua as he leads them up to the east side of the Jordan River. But the same kind of miracle happens where they're able to cross the Jordan River, enter into the promised land. And Joshua leads for those years as they conquer the Canaanites and, and the other people that lived in the areas that God said, I am going to uh, discipline them because they're not following me and I'm going to give this land to you. And so you have the story of what? Jericho, the story of Ai, the, the story of Achan Sin and uh, the debacle that happened there. And so you read through then from Deuteronomy through 
to Joshua. And then you come towards the latter part of Joshua and you find Joshua standing up in his life, at the end of his life, to give his sermon. Joshua 21, verse 43, if you'll turn there. We'll just read a few verses. So the Lord gave Israel, Joshua 21, verse 43. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to their ancestors. And they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. Not one of their enemies. God went before them. They, they knew this. They didn't have the horsepower or the means. But God went before them and all their enemies fell. And they took possession of this land. And the Lord fulfilled his promises. He did not fail them. Every single promise he fulfilled. Maybe you're here this morning and there's some promises you feel God's sort of slow on and fulfilling in your life. Keep steady. Keep hanging in there. If the promise has come from God himself, God will never fail with his promises. And so here they find themselves in the promised land. And they're looking for leadership at the end of Joshua's life. If you look at Joshua 23, there are several things that we could pull from this particular part. But in chapter 23, it says this, After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest. I, I love that. Rest from all their enemies around them. Joshua, then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials. And he said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Verse 4, remember how I allotted as an inheritance for you the tribes of all the nation, lands of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. So the 12 sons of Jacob, which included the Joseph story in the midst of that, they end up becoming the names of the 12 tribes. And the promised land that's now been conquered, as referenced here, is divided into 12 geographical areas, the 12 tribes of Israel. And the... Um, uh, some of the tribes are on the east side of the Jordan and then the others on the west side. But you can trace an awful lot back to uh, these geographical dispersion. And as they were dispersed into these areas, they were still to obey the what? The Shema. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It means obedience. That's what they were to do when they took possession of the land. And so Joshua, at a very old age, he's exhorting them to do that. Turn with me, if you will, to chapter 24. In chapter 24, we find this in verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. 
Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, a lot of times when we see this reference in Scripture about them serving other gods, we think, oh yeah, they really, you know, they made that golden calf. That was really a stupid idea. And they worship and bow down to an idol, right? Or we think maybe in terms of some animistic cultures today where they believe you know, that there's a spirit and a tree or, you know, some other kind of Eastern mysticism kind of thing, a, you know, a oneness. And, and we just sort of have a little bit of a smirk, like, well, we're, we're smarter than that. We're, we're really wise. You know, we've lived through a lot of history. We're not going to bow down to some golden calf. We're not going to believe in animistic religion. Are we that smart? What are the other gods in the land that you live that you're submitting to right now? A god of materialism? A god of seeking pleasure pleasure and experiences? A god of maybe some notoriety and some fame? Hey, look at me. Look Look at how many friends I got on social media. Maybe it's something in your workplace that you're pursuing, and rightfully so. God's given you to, to horsepower up, but that work environment and that, that project or that position that you're, you're beelining for or that, that uh, uh, salary line or that portfolio you want to have, all those kinds of things can press into us as gods. Maybe it's a relationship that you're bound to have. Your whole life's just consumed with that relationship or seeking that relationship. You see, it's human nature. It's the universal human condition that there's always going to be gods in the land and we're going to be enticed to go follow after those gods and give our allegiance to them. And Joshua says here to the Israelites, as surely as Jesus through his spirit would say us today, be careful, do not pursue the other gods in the land. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship. Verse 15, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Reminds me of that Bob Dylan song, you got to serve somebody, right? We're all serving somebody. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then go ahead, go ahead. Then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, the people that were in that land, in whose land you are living. But then he comes back to this powerful statement. Powerful statement. He's exhorted them. Fear the Lord, serve him. Be careful about all these other gods, gods of the Amorites, in whom land you're living. But I love Joshua 24, 15. I love it. But as for me, Joshua says, in my household, we will serve the Lord. He's putting a stake down. He says, I don't care. You can go do what you want. But as for me and my household, the people that I'm overseeing, we will serve the Lord. It's 
a defiant declaration, pushing back against the universal human condition to wander into all kinds of pursuits, pursuits of other gods. Have you ever made that kind of declaration for your household? But as for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. I, on my way out of my house this morning, I grabbed this shingle shake, this wood panel that I've had sitting around in my house even before I was married, I believe. It simply says, Joshua 24, 15. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it was not, you can clap to that. It was not hard for me to find this in my house. I knew where it was. It was right there on my desk. So I grabbed it and I brought it. And I'm making a declaration today over my household. All of my children, even my extended family, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You need to take that headship in your home. Men and women, particularly husbands and fathers, you take that headship and you declare today, we will serve the Lord. Now, does that mean they're always going to serve the Lord? No. We all been given that free will. Adam and Eve, they took the fruit, right? They chose to worship other gods in the promised land. But you can live in such a way, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles. You live in such a way that your children know they love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O my household. Choose you this day who you'll serve, but I will serve the Lord. That is the most important thing you can do in your household. And then, to live it out. To live it out because it's not easy. It's not easy and there are going to be temptations around you and there are going to be challenges with each of your children that will cause you to, 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 to hit your knees in prayer. Because we live in a fallen world and the other gods have a lot of enticement. Joshua passes away on the scene. And, and then what happens is all these 12 tribes, they sort of roll into how do we govern these things and how do we try to you know, serve the Lord our God and not these other gods and, and have God's blessing so we as a nation, as a whole, can be a blessing to all nations. And, and so the storyline's moving forward into a season called the Judges. And the Judges is probably one of the darkest, harshest, most tragic books you will ever read about. And the reason is because there's a cycle that starts to happen with the Israelites. God raises up some of the leaders, but then they fall into great temptation. It says this in Judges 2.18. It sort of gives some summary. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, 
the people return to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refuse to, refuse to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. What do you think about that verse? Think that's true of our day? Friends, we're living a time in this culture that is not unbeknownst to history past. You read through Judges. Things can get a lot worse. But this is what happens when we choose not to do Joshua 24, 15. Don't be discouraged, though. Just be wise. And see the undercurrent that's happening in our culture and our world. When you turn from God, you turn to other gods. And when you turn to other gods, you turn to the self-centered God of me, 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 my thinking, my truth. And you begin to water down anything of absolute truth. And so we live in a culture today that does not pursue absolute truth, does not pursue a moral law that the moral lawgiver God has given, not for the sake of condemning us and, and making us just live by rules. That's what people think religion or the Christian faith is. No. The moral lawgiver who created us and gave a moral law, he gave it for, as we said last week, for our freedom. And so that's why we serve the Lord our God, because you will serve somebody, and you're going to go in some directions that are not good in the end. And when I look at the corrupt ways of our culture today, yeah, I can get indignant and mad and upset and see how it affects us, even the people that we love. But I say, Lord, may I be wise and may I live the Shema and listen to you and obey you and love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And may I choose to step out in devotion to you and say no to these other gods, to say no to the half-truths floating around or the not-truths that are floating around and pursue the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that. And I came across something this last week I thought a little funny. I, I like history. I like you know American history, that kind of thing. Any of you know what the Monroe Doctrine is? The Monroe Doctrine comes from the fifth president of the United States, which was James Monroe. And uh, the Monroe Doctrine was something to the effect of just don't get involved in European affairs. We'll deal with our own here, right? You see that debate still going on in, in our politics today. But um, a lot of times if you said Monroe to people in our culture today, they wouldn't think of James Monroe. Uh, maybe they might think of another Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe, as you know, the, the famous Hollywood actress who had a tragic death uh, a number of years ago now, um, Marilyn Monroe was once asked if she believed in God. Do you know what her response was? Her response, I think, is typical of today. She said, well, I believe in everything. A little bit. 
today we don't know about the Monroe Doctrine from the president, the fifth president. We, we do operate a lot by that other Monroe Doctrine of, I believe in everything, just a little bit. There's no defiant declaration that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in truth. I believe in the one true God. And this was the challenge then. It is the challenge today. And what happened in the book of Judges was a continuous cycle. It's summed up. It says in a few different places. But in Judges 21-25, it says this. In those days, Israel had no king. Now, they were given a king, and that's why, you know, the land and the kingdom. But we're not touching on that today. Maybe you will in your groups, uh, in your readings this week, and in your groups on Wednesday. But they wanted a king. They had no king. King Saul, David, and Solomon came after the period of the judges. But it says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. I believe in everything a little bit. I think I believe in that. That's my truth. That's my way. That's the way to... And you, you just see the scattering and going different directions and the demise of what happened in Judges is an incredible brokenness and demise. In fact, you could sum up the Judges and you can go through different Judges. All right? And the cycle of sin and freedom in Judges is depicted by this diagram. They would sin, worshiping other idols. There would be a collapse of their nation or their territory, and they would find themselves in oppression. Their sin would become crushing to them, and the consequences of it. And then it would spiral from there into somehow, by God's grace, there was an awakening and there was repentance. And the repentance was, let's get back to the Shema. I don't want to serve these other gods. I want to serve the one true God. And repentance would lead to deliverance. And God would bring a judge. And that judge would be raised up. And he would bring freedom to the Israelites for that particular season. But guess what? The peace that came on the hills of the repentance and the deliverance and the season they were in. Once again, they were enticed by the idols and the gods around them. And this spiraling thing happens over and over again in Judges, and we'll see that it happens over and over again still after the period of Judges, even with the kings and, and the divided kingdom and the prophets as they begin to speak, and we're going to be picking that up next week, is all this secular uh, type of movement continues even to today. Where are you at? In your own personal life, maybe, are you at a place of peace living underneath the one true God, or have you fallen into some temptations of sin? You're toying with it. I can tell you what, that temptation to sin and the action of sin will lead you to oppression and bondage. It will. And hopefully, by God's grace, you come to a place of repentance. And maybe some of you have just come through that season of repentance. We're having a baptism here this afternoon with someone who didn't grow up with a knowledge of God in their home. Their parents were atheists, but she recently, through the ministries of the church, has come to know Jesus Christ, and we're baptizing her in someone's backyard this afternoon. <laughs> it's Karen Adams on the back row today. And Karen came to a place where in the oppression of her life and being from God, repentance 
God brings the deliverer of Jesus Christ to change and transform her life. And the peace that passes all understanding doesn't mean the problems go away and the difficulties and the challenges. But Shema, listen, O Israel. Break the cycle of sin. You know, one of the judges was a very prominent judge. You've heard stories about it since maybe you were a young kid if you grew up in church. You can maybe guess with me who it is. He had awesome hair. He had awesome strength. And he had awesome notoriety and fame. What judge am I talking about? Samson. Samson. Samson was one of those deliverers for the nation of Israel, but what did Samson do? He began to toy with other gods and other things. And, you know, sometimes I was listening this week to somebody, and it's so true. When we find people, uh, none of us, none of us in this room set out to mess up and destroy our life. Has anybody said, that's my goal. I want to mess up and destroy my life. Nobody does that, right? But then we see the destruction happening. And how does that destruction happen? Well, it doesn't happen all at once. We may simplify it into terms, well, they weren't, you know, they never did eat right, and so if they died a heart attack or whatever, or, you know, they were always promiscuous, they couldn't control their lust, and so that she left him, that sort of makes sense. And we sum it up in these really simplistic statements when destruction comes. But destruction in your life and my life does not come with just one uh, haunting blow. Now, it can, but with Samson, as recorded of his life, the, the blow, if you will, was a series of steps that were taken. Let me just read this quickly from, from Judges 16. Samson. One day, the title of it, Samson Delilah, you know the name, right? I mean, here's the reality. Samson lost his hair. He lost his eyesight. He lost his fame. He lost it all. But it didn't happen like in one swoop. Look at this. One day, one day, just one day. One day Samson went to Gaza. Now, where was Gaza? Gaza was like 25 miles from Zor, where he was living at the time. And Gaza was in enemy territory. So one day, here's great Samson. I... I'm just going to go to Gaza. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn we'll kill him. Now, you can read the story of Samson from there if you want to this afternoon. But the reality is, Samson didn't get there just as one act. He went 25 miles. That's somewhere like, I don't know, over 56,000 steps if you were to walk there. One step at a time. He moved from where he should have been 
into enemy territory. Watch it. Be mindful of your own life. Because it's one step at a time. Now we know the story of Samson. He was later, his hair was cut. It wasn't that his hair was the strength. It symbolizes his commitment to the one true God because of his Levite background. His eyes were gouged down. He was thrown into a prison. They brought him out to do a, a display and for everybody to celebrate. And Samson asked to lean up against the pillars of that temple area. And he, with his eyes blinded, had gained his strength back because his hair had grown. And I'm sure it wasn't because his hair had grown, but somewhere in that prison cell during that period of time after his demise, when he lost his hair, he lost his eyes, he lost his sight, he lost his fame, he had recommitted to God and he got his strength back. And we hear the story how Samson pushed those pillars out and the whole temple with all the people were killed, including Samson. And Samson killed more in his death than he did in his life. How did that story run with the judge's account? One step at a time. In James 1, 13 through 15, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But then it says this, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do you see the pathway there? One step at a time. It starts with, not that God tempts anyone, but the temptation, adversary, sinful nature. You step into sin. Sin becomes a habit. The habit leads to destruction and ultimately can lead to death. And maybe not a physical death. Maybe it's just you're numb today and you're dead on the inside because sin is eating you alive. So that James statement reminds me of a statement in Romans. For we've all sinned, right? The Apostle Paul depicts terrible, treacherous road of sin and following the own God. He describes his culture at that time in the New Testament. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to depraved minds to do what ought not to be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, Slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do them, but also approve of those who practice them. Friend, the universal human condition is to move away from God towards sin that we think is going to bring freedom and joy but in the end, it leads to destruction. That's why this morning we worship and celebrate the truth that Paul says later in Romans. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and we're going to remember the work that Jesus Christ did by taking of communion. If you have your communion cup, then I invite you to take the bread off from underneath and the 
take the cup too in a second. If you don't have a cup, just raise your hand and uh, the ushers will get you a communion cup. They'll pass it around. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, even if you're not a part of this church, you, we invite you to be a part of this moment of declaration of declaring forth the beauty and the joy of what Jesus Christ did at the cross. Because God did on that big timeline, Jesus is coming. And when Jesus came, he gave up his life. He took the penalty upon himself for our sins. And Jesus demonstrated his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to take the bread. And I want us to return to the Shema, but not the Shema that was spoken in Deuteronomy, but Jesus speaking it. In Mark 12, he replied, the most important command is this. Listen, O Israel. The Lord your God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And then he added a second one, which is liberating in one sense. It's equally important, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these two. And so as you take the elements in remembrance of Jesus, his death and his resurrection this morning have brought about your transformation. May you declare again the Shema. Jesus said in John 15 as he was giving his last talk before he went to the cross. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, then in this prayer that I'm about to pray before we take of the elements, you can just simply surrender your life in repentance and invite Jesus, the true King of kings, into your life and say, I want to love you and serve you. It's just a simple prayer. A simple act in one sense. You don't have to take long steps to get back to God and clean up your life. You just surrender to Him. It's different than the path of sin. The Lord can bring transformation in your life. The answer to all the sin and the bondage is not behavioral transformation. It's spiritual transformation. And the one who demonstrated his life for you, who laid down his life for you, comes and lives within. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, we are so grateful that you came to deal with the sin issue, not only in habit and destruction, but the power of sin itself. And you can come and dwell and live within us. And Jesus, we thank you for those of us who have made that profession of faith to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we praise you for the broken body and the shed blood. And Lord, for those who have never crossed that line of faith this morning, we ask that you would just draw near to them and in a simple prayer, pray these words, Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge who you are. I repent of my sin and turn from my indifference. And I invite you to come into my life to lead me from this day forward. 
thank you for demonstrating your love for me. And thank you this day for becoming my Savior. Will you take your bread and remember the Lord Jesus Christ and his broken body for you this morning in worship. It says on that night, the Lord's Supper before Jesus headed to the cross, he also took the cup. And he said, this cup is representative of the new covenant. There was the covenant of Mount Sinai, but when Jesus came, as we're going to see in a few weeks, there's a whole new covenant that built on the story of God. But he says, this cup represents my life that's going to be poured out in this new covenant. Take and drink of this and proclaim my death and the resurrection until I come again. May we take the cup in remembrance of our King Jesus. I'm going to invite the ushers to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. And if you have a response on the back of your Connect card that you need to make mention, then make mention of that. But let's sing out and worship today as the offering baskets are passed. Let's declare Jesus Christ as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.
545, we're going to continue studying and interacting with this story. Palms up. Now may you go and receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit to listen to the Lord your God and to love Him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. God bless. Praise the Father. 